and welcome to the Dairy Defined podcast. The roller coaster year for dairy prices continues. Peter Vitaliano is the chief economist for NMPF. He publishes our monthly dairy market report, which is available on nmpf.org, and he's been closely watching the economic dimensions of coronavirus and dairy. Thank you for joining us again, Peter. My pleasure. So why are we seeing this recent price erosion, Peter? Did prices go too high to begin with? Prices are what they are based on supply and demand. There's no such thing as too high or too low objectively. It's a question from your point of view. If you're selling a product, uh, no price is too high. If you're buying a product, in a sense, no price is too low. Dairy is notoriously uh, what's called price inelastic, where you have small changes in, in demand or supply can have large price movements. And we've seen over the last several months an unprecedented series of major changes in both supply and demand that have whipsawed prices both down and up and now heading back down again, um, just obeying the the laws of supply and demand. Uh, At the beginning of the pandemic, we had a sudden loss of a lot of dairy demand, particularly from food service, uh, as people shifted away from going out to restaurants and uh, basically shopping more at supermarkets and eating at home. But the increase in retail sales did not overcome the loss of uh, food service sales. Prices dropped. Uh, It happened at a time when dairy farmers were expanding their production of milk. Uh, So it was a, a, a tough situation there in terms of milk prices. Very quickly, uh, cooperatives and farmers uh, responded to significantly reduced production. Uh, At the same time, the federal government stepped in with large-scale purchases of dairy products, uh, shrinking the supply side, expanding the demand side. Uh, Gradually, some food service recovery started into that process, and prices just went, um, went in the other direction. Now that we're seeing the second wave of COVID, um, it's starting to affect food service again. And, uh, you know, the government purchases are continuing, but not not with that same initial rush. And farmers are starting to expand production as some of those supply measures are are coming off. We're also um, looking at, um, in in connection with the second wave of, of COVID, we're now starting to look at schools not basically reopening fully in uh, in person, and that is uh, casting a negative, uh, additional negative on the dairy situation, as uh, school milk purchases of um, particularly fluid milk are, are are basically looking to be smaller than they would normally. That's putting some additional milk um, into the supply for other products such as cheese. So the bottom line is we have seen almost in many cases, record high monthly increases, monthly high record decreases in a number of the major pricing categories. For products, cheese has been the main, the main, uh, the main product that has seen extremes of pricing. Uh, in federal order components, it's been protein. For uh, federal order class prices, it's been class three. And for dairy farmers' uh, uh, prices, it's been... Uh, a USDA measure called the all milk price that we've been tracking. All of those measures have shown record drops and record increases in, in recent months. So it has been indeed uh, a roller coaster into uh, admittedly overuse a, uh, 
an analogy that often is applied to prices. But it does seem like prices have been stabilizing over the past few days, Peter. What's going on? Let me deconstruct that a little bit. Um, at the beginning of uh, back this spring, when the pandemic effects first started becoming apparent, the milk price outlook shifted to one where it looked like basically where prices um, were taking a very deep dive, uh, hitting bottom about the middle of the year, and then slowly recovering through the rest of the year. As we moved into uh, <clears throat> to a number of actions to address it, that pattern changed. And I'm talking about the monthly pattern uh, of milk prices. Uh, we started getting a significant reduction in milk production uh, through the combined action of dairy farmers and their marketing cooperatives. Uh, we got significant government purchases. Uh, the first wave of the pandemic uh, started to look like it was receding and food services starting to recover. Um, purchases were being made. And that pattern shifted to where uh, basically a, a peak was starting to develop in the middle of the year. Uh, and then uh, prices would be sort of remaining on a monthly basis, relatively stable from then on. As, as that developed, and we basically developed a fairly uh, strong uh, supply-demand shortage, uh, <clears throat> we, saw, we saw prices um, basically appearing to hit their peak in July and then falling off throughout the rest of the year. That pattern was first established uh, in early June, and it hasn't changed since. So when, we talking, when we're talking about the outlook improving a little bit, it means that the futures are sort of fine-tuning how far they think the, 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 the price is going to erode going into the, at the end of the year. So what has been unchanged basically for the second part of this, uh, you know, ever since June, is the expectation that prices are going to continue erode to erode um, from starting from, from the peak in July through the end of the year. That has not changed, and I do not expect that to change. What is changing is if the outlook has been improving for, say, November and December prices, um, that basically improves the outlook for the average price for the year. And that's what's been happening lately. There's the price you see on the market, and then there's the check that a farmer actually gets in the mailbox. Milk pricing is legendarily complicated, but when you work with it enough, it's actually pretty simple. There are only four major dairy products, butter, nonfat dry milk, cheddar cheese, and dry whey, whose prices on a, are collected on a monthly basis, go into the federal order formulas. And because federal orders are so uh, play such a large role in pricing milk in this country, that basically affects the price that dairy farmers are paid for their milk. It varies geographically all over the country, but it all sort of rides up and down on, a, you know, on, on the same level. If uh, USDA reports a something called the all-milk price, which is actually the price of milk that's used in the DMC margin formula for that uh, the dairy margin coverage program, they report it on a national average basis. They report it for a number of key dairy states. If you give me the price of those four dairy products that I mentioned, I can generally come pretty close to predicting what USDA is going to report for the all milk price US national average for that month. There is a very tight link between the price of those four products and the price that dairy farmers are paid. There are leads and lags in the system. There are parts of that that have been particularly volatile uh, because of these rapid shifts and large shifts in supply and demand conditions that I discussed earlier. Uh, and of all those four products, cheese has been the most volatile. Cheese is the one product 
single product for which the largest proportion of U.S. milk goes to produce. So it has kind of an outside influence on, on the milk price. Cheese has been extremely unstable in prices this year. It's reached a record high and almost a record low just within a, a weeks of each other. It's heading back down now for reasons that I'd mentioned earlier. What happens is that uh, when, when cheese prices become are that volatile, it affects the federal order uh, component price for protein. It affects the federal order class three price, and that affects the milk price that producers themselves receive. Uh, it also affects class one prices, but there's a lead, there are lags in the system. And uh, one, one issue that is um, kind of top of mind these months has been the negative producer price differentials in federal orders. They were quite large in June. They'll be large again in July and possibly again in August. And that is simply an, a, a feature of the way federal order pricing works and the fact that federal order class one prices, which are normally higher than the other federal order class prices, are priced in advance. So the class one price in June was, a very, was very low because it was established based on class three and class four prices uh, a couple of months earlier when prices were down in the tank for those products. Class three prices in particular for, that were driven by cheese had, ex, had rebounded very, very significantly to the upside by June. So we had federal order uh, uh, pay prices were generated by extremely high class three prices and relatively low class one, class two, and class four prices. When that happens, because under federal orders, uh, only class one milk has to be pooled. A lot of milk was depooled in June and will be again in July uh, because processors and cooperatives that were heavily involved in class three milk could make more money basically by just uh, getting the class three prices than they could by drawing money from, from the federal order pools. That obviously was upsetting to a lot of producers, and it became an extreme issue this year because, again, of this extreme and rapid price volatility. We'll probably see it again big time in, uh, in July and probably a little bit in August. Class three prices are heading back down from a high level in July. Class one prices are heading up because they're being based on the more recent higher class three and some extent class four prices. The negative PPDs will disappear in a month or two. We're entering back to school season, Peter. How big of a deal for dairy is it that schools in many parts of the country aren't reopening? Well, it is a fact that um, a lot of fluid milk is sold um, basically through, through the school, uh, school food programs. And if schools are not in session, in person, um, you're going to have that that vehicle for selling selling milk that is uh, basically going going to be uh, uh, not going to be available. Now, theoretically, children at home are going to be uh, are going to be able to be fed and drink milk that is going to be supplied at retail. But um, you're not going to have, as my understanding, uh, you're not going to have. Uh, basically as, as wide availability because uh, milk is available through schools in some cases at subsidized prices that is not necessarily available uh, for individual home use. 
Now, I know there's been some talk, and I've unfortunately have not been following this that closely, of trying to make school uh, milk available at the subsidized school milk prices uh, for students who are not physically in school. And whether or not programs of that sort are going to uh, going to be of any significance this fall is something that I think we need to look into. I say it's school milk is a significant uh, vehicle for basically selling fluid milk in this country. So what will be the big drivers of prices for the rest of this year? What are some of the reasons for hope and what should we be worried about? The main thing that to keep an eye on is um, uh, domestically is what's going to happen in food service. Food service is, was, was looking a little hopeful a couple earlier this summer, but it's looking like food service is going to be shutting down again until this wave of the pandemic uh, shows signs of get, gotten under control. And then there's the question of, uh, of the supply of milk. We had uh, remarkable success earlier on in the summer in quickly getting milk production under control, uh, some of those measures have been easing up and milk supply has been expanding again. There's going to be a question of whether there will be, whether there'll be the stomach amongst the producer and the cooperative community to sort of uh, heavily reinstitute those, uh, those production restrictions again in response to the, uh, uh, basically the lower level of demand. Exports are going to be kind of a question because the, the world market um, is also experiencing a a bit of a price meltdown at the moment, as you know, the COVID problems seem to be expanding uh, to to a number of the key dairy importing countries. So we went from a decent looking price outlook at the beginning of this year to a dismal one that hit rock bottom for producers in April and May to a a uh, an extreme high of milk prices in in June and July affected somewhat by the negative PPD situation. But there are there were farmers who received those uh, those higher prices through their cooperatives and uh, dairy processors that depooled during that time. And now it looks like we're heading for another down cycle, again, driven by, by a, a significant erosion through the end of the year, according to the futures markets, in the price of cheese. All comes down to supply and demand. Big time. We're, we are getting a... Uh, a crash course in how supply and demand works in the dairy industry this year, for sure. Well, thank you, as always, for your primers, Peter. That's Peter Vitaliano, the chief economist for the National Milk Producers Federation. And that is it for today's podcast. Be sure to look at NNPF's risk management page. You can get there from our homepage at nnpf.org for more of Peter's analysis and to subscribe to his dairy market report. You can find this podcast online on NMPF's new Sharing Our Story page. That's also a drop down from our homepage. Or make it easy on yourself. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play under the podcast name Dairy Defined. Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm.